Our story opens today in the charming all-American hamlet of Frostbite Falls, Minnesota, a tiny Northwoods town with a modest population of 48. This is the podcaster, Jeff J. Almost, reading the intro. Here as well is our other podcaster, Jonathan No Middle Name Tambourine. Next to him, a Rocky and Bullwinkle RPG, a game that threatens good times to all decent folks and the rest of you besides. Can we review it? Tune in this week for System Mastery Reviews, the Bullwinkle and Rocky Party RPG, or Moose and Squirrel Must Dite. Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we review old role-playing games, and we just got back from Gen Con, and we're very tired, and we both have ouchies on our foot. I'm Jeff, and that's John. That's right. Mm-hmm. Ouchies on feet, tired from Gen Con, and also we already recorded this at Gen Con technically on cell phones that don't sound good. No, we're not even going to bother with that. I mean, I, I assume all of you are going to quietly delete those in a couple of weeks when I don't bother asking you for them. Yeah. Because I don't want to try and clean up that raw feed. No. And it's he- going to be a bunch of megs of useless content on your phone. Here's the thing. We uh, wanted to do, obviously, the Bullwinkle and Rocky uh, party role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Live in front of an audience because it comes with a bunch of little toys and contrivances. Yeah, and that part was fine. If you were at Gen Con, hey, thanks for being there. That was great. You're great. Sorry you're listening to this twice, but not really because you get to listen to it twice. Yeah. Uh, Plus, you got a special one that uh, involved both Claire and James D'Amato being on the panel with us talking about this game. Uh Uh-huh. In costumes. For those that did not go to Gen Con, we will review it. Normal style for you. Yeah. So if you're wondering what the story is there, I I very carefully requested a room with a microphone and was apparently just summarily denied. I feel like a lot went wrong with our live show recording request because it was also set to the exact minute that our previous event ended in a different hotel. Yeah, there was some weird nonsense that went on there where it was like, hey, I would like to be in a room with mics. And then they just sort of, I assume, looked at us and went, no, you don't. Nah. Nah, that's not true. Yeah, and we, we did everything we could, because we we've been running a quiz show at conventions all year long. Yeah. And it's been a lot of fun. Starting all the way back in March in Seattle at the uh, Emerald City Comic Con, uh, we just did the Gen Con one, and we had a huge turnout. We had like 150 people in there. It was a really good time. We were joined by special guest journalist Lynn Codega. That was great. Who, who they were some, awesome. They were awesome. They asked some incredibly hard questions <laughs> yeah. and, and, and offered no sucker whatsoever when it came to them. People would be like, I don't, I don't know. Can well, yeah, because all of our stuff that we ask, we're like, oh, we're going to put multiple choice in there because we want to be nice and give away some stuff when you get the right answers. And Lynn was just like, no, fuck you. Guess correctly or don't. And this isn't even like, oh, this is going to be easy. It's like, here's a random, weird, obscure thing that happened in law. What year was that? Yeah, it was rough. So uh, luckily, it was the middle of the show. So we were able to soothe those those folks with some more easy layup questions after that. Uh, so anyway, uh, but we had to rush from that to our hall where in another hotel room where we got there just in time to see some people running a show about I don't care what. Uh, that went right over their 10-minute buffer and just kept sitting the fuck up there through our talk as well. Yeah. And I even knew who one of them was, and I'm just not going to say their name, because um, uh, I don't want to promote their dumb shit. Uh-huh. And uh, that people were walking up like, hi, can I ask you lots of dumb questions? Yeah, I don't think there's anything going on after us. There aren't four people setting up here or anything. Yeah, it was... I mean, I'm one of those people that's like, hey, I get it. If you've got an audience that's there and you know maybe the people before them went long... You want to give the people who are paying to be there a good show. Do that shit and in that, the hallway. Well, I mean, I'm I'm like, oh, up until, if you want to take that 10-minute buffer, I'm even like, look, I get it. You want an hour of time. I get that. You want to sure. take the hour. Sure. But especially when it was like, it is already essentially time for us to get the room. And they're like, oh, we'll keep taking questions. What about you? It was like, hi, this is sort of a long, complicated one. And as soon as... That person asked that question. I was like, boo. (laughs) Yeah, no, literally. And then the dude who answered was like, I can see the people in the back of the room are setting up for the next show, but I need to answer this one. So I'm just going to go. And I was like, take it to the fucking hallway. Yeah. That's what Gen Con is 90% hallways for a reason. (laughs) 
for traffic flow and also for your ass. Yeah, it was just, it's weird because every other show that we did and all of our shows were like, oh, we've got, you know, 15 minutes until the hour. We'll wrap this up and leave. And no one else had that. It was just one weird thing. Yeah, Yeah, it was very strange. So, um, but, you know, instead of whining about unfortunate circumstances, we're simply going to get up off our our asses and figure out how to do it right next year when we run a different game through a different review. It's going to have to be something else that's loaded down with uh, semi-useless props. I suggest Invisible Sun. (laughs) Ah, well, I mean, we already had semi-useless props. Claire and James D'Amato. <laughs> That's right. No way. They both read the thing and did I'm, a great job. I'm gonna be mean. It's one, of that these... was, one of my favorite things was being an asshole in front of a live audience and being like, yes, I eat your hate. <laughs> <laughs> the Rocky and Bullwinkle Party RPG is shockingly good given what it is. And it's the Bullwinkle and Rocky, uh, which stopped me from knowing about it for years because I had heard there was one and I kept looking for the Rocky and Bullwinkle RPG, which calls up like old video games and stuff. This is, for whatever reason, called Bullwinkle and Rocky, the party role-playing game. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure why they decided to go with that. Uh, I mean, when you have a property that is that recognizable being in that order, you're like, but why would you do that? You already, It's not like you're trying to bootleg something and get around the, like, oh, I don't want people to know I'm using their property you have the property. Use the fucking name of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, but you know, we could probably just blame TSR because it is. It is a TSR pro- product. Nineteen eighty-eight TSR box set. Obviously, we've done a lot of TSR box sets over our many years, and uh, they have been hit or miss. Namely, Star Frontiers was a hit. Indiana Jones was a miss. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was just thinking because having, you know editors and whatnot that we deal with when writing i was like oh someone probably just went oh we should put the names in alphabetical order because Ah. that's what we normally do (laughs) that's our best practice and so we will just do that we'll just help them with this uh here's here's a helping hand (laughs) we changed that for you We changed that for you oh shoot it already went to printing oh sorry about that oh well you know you win some you lose some this this game is great i'm gonna go ahead and come out the gate swinging this is cool yeah it it has yeah three different sort of modes that you can play in that two, all two good ones yeah well they all lead from one to the next yes they do uh one is exceptionally good uh-huh one is usably good mm-hmm. and the last one is bad and shouldn't be used <laughs> pretty much yeah the last one is basically character creation as a mode and it needs it needs to be set up a little better because it can lead to some really bad times yeah it's it's just very clear that they went Oh, uh, probably they were like, oh, we, people don't like it when you don't have character creation. We put Indiana Jones out already and people were all pissed off that you couldn't make a character in it. Yeah. So we have to include character creation in this. And I'm like, no, this is one of the situations where you absolutely did not need to do that. No, it's perfectly fine. I know we, I know we went heavy into Indiana Jones, but this is the Rocky, Rocky and Bullwinkle. And not only is it the Rocky and Bullwinkle game. Also, it's the stuff it comes with is so party and LARP specific that making a character feels like you're just wasting time. Yeah, because this comes with, uh, it's got little hand puppets that you can use for all the various characters. Yeah. It has standees for every character. And there is like a thick stack of standees where mm-hmm. you... Thick and veiny. <laughs> uncut standees. Oh, no, they're cut. They're uh, they're, they're well, they're cut so you can fold them and put them up nicely and everything. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yep, that's uh, whatever we're talking about for you. Yeah, no double no. entendre. No uh, other reason. <laughs> but yeah, you get these little standees that you can fold and it'll stand up. And in the front is a picture of the character and their name. Yep. So that everyone around the table, when they look at you, they go like, oh, you're playing as, you know, Boris or Natasha or whatever. And you see the picture, you see the name. So it's great for that. Yeah. But then on the backside of pointing at you are all of the abilities and things you can do, as well as a few of the like normal, like catchphrases and sayings that they have. Yeah. Like I've got Boris in front of me right now and. I've got all of his moves, including whether you have to spin for them, because this game uses spinners instead of dice, which is another little feature it comes with and is super cool. Uh, but you, each one of his powers says whether or not he has to use the spinner, and then he's got his little sayings, you know, like Raskolnikov, and allow me to introducing myself. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, there's also I Know Honey Bunch, which is the closest thing I've come to to seeing any kind of confirmation to the great debate. Are Boris and Natasha an item? Yes. We don't know. The world will never know. We never will. It looks it, When you watch the show, it's pretty clear they're like, just co-workers. Because, yeah, she calls him darling, but she calls everyone darling. Yeah. She's just like, yeah, no matter who I'm talking to, you are darling. Well, yeah, because she's basically just like a dark-haired Zsa Zsa Gabor send-up. So. Well, I, w- I was going to say, it's basically the same thing as anytime you meet like a waitress in the South. Yeah. You're Hun, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, and if you have to hang out with like a waiter in the South, you're going to call him Hun, and it's fine. You have, and no one thinks you guys are doing it on the sly. Well, everyone thinks you're Every- doing it on the sly. You work in a restaurant together. <laughs> also, since you're doing it in public, no one thinks you're doing it on the sly as well. <laughs> Everyone because is- you are just fucking mid-taking of my order. Yeah, right here in the Waffle House. <laughs> I, You know, at least someone's not fighting. Yeah, look, if you're going to bang it out in the Waffle House, I'd rather it be this type of banging it out in the Waffle House than the other. Exactly. Let's have more public fucking in the Waffle Houses. Thanks to the South. <laughs> That's my new stance as I run for mayor of this fair city. Mm-hmm. More fucking in the Waffle House. And that city, of course, is San Diego, which doesn't have a Waffle House in it. Yeah. But, you know, we, we, we're going to build some Waffle Houses, and we want you to get down and nasty in each and every one of them. Down and nasty in the Waffle House. With me, your mayor... Down and Nasty in the Waffle House sounds like the new podcast from the McElroy Brothers or something. Coming up next, Down and Nasty in the Waffle House, or I'll Have Syrup on Mine. (laughs) Smother and cover me, please. Uh, So the base version of the game for Mm. Bullwinkle and Rocky. The vile base version of the game. This absolutely base and terrible version, or this based version. (laughs) Uh, is if anyone knows the board game slash card game once upon a time, it works almost exactly like that and came out 20 years before that did. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, This is from 1988. Yeah. So this is a game where you will have a bunch of cards in your hand. Uh There's a card deck, 108 cards that come with the game as well. There's a lot of shit in this box. Yeah. And they will be random either items from the show or concepts, or things, whatever it happens to be. Yep. And anytime you want to wrest narrative control over what is being said, you will play one of your cards, introduce how it works within what's currently happening, and then continue narration. Yes. So the actual GM of this uh, doesn't really exist in the you know standard version of this. Instead, you have... One person starts narrating, they'll, you know, if they want to, they can play a card to add to a scene, but basically it'll just go around and as you are telling a story, you will have this sort of popcorn back and forth between all the players Uh where anyone who plays a card gets to start being the narrator and saying how the action happens. Yeah. To me, it felt, I mean, I've never played Once Upon a Time, I think you called it. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe I have. I think I might have. It doesn't matter. Um, you may have at a Kingdom Con that we were at. Yeah, but I, I'm it's thinking. Possible. I'm thinking I played it, but uh, but rather what I was going to bring up is that to, to me it reminded me a lot of Grant Howitt's Doctor Magnahans. Yes, because it's got the same sort of if you can play a card, that's true. Now it doesn't matter whether you can't roll out of it, you can't get away from it. That's just a thing that's part of the story, and you're going along with it. Oh yeah, and uh, the one thing that's really different is in Once Upon a Time you have to play a card that is based on what someone else just said. So if someone's like, and then they went into a forest and you have the forest card, you could play the forest card and get control. In this, you can just at any time, if you've got the goof gas gun, yeah. and you're like, all right, well, Rocky and Bullwinkle were heading through Frostbite Falls trying to find the best ice cream they could, and then they found a vendor that, and you could just go, had a goof gas gun and fucking goofed them. And... It doesn't matter. You just play that and get to start going. You goof them good. That's what happens. You goof them. Yeah. Except, of you course, goof them. Uh, Bullwinkle is immune to the goof gas because he's already as dumb as you can possibly be. That's correct. He is exactly as dumb as it is possible to be without being dead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the other thing one of his is powers. Uh, the stories in this, when you start playing, uh, it has a book of a bunch of stories that you can pick from because you can do... Uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, or you can do some of the other ones from the show. You can do an Aesop and Son. You can do Fractured Fairy Tales. You can do Dudley uh, Do Right. Yeah, Peabody and Sherman. Yeah, so you've got these options, but it gives you 
a bunch of things in there because the way it works is you get a opening scene that sets what the story is about, where they're going, what's happening, what the main MacGuffin is, and then it tells you how the story ends. Yeah. So no matter what, you know, this is where we're going to start and this is where we're going to end and how we get there is completely dependent on what cards people play and how the imagination of the people there takes the story. Which is exactly why it reminds me so much of Dr. Magnethands because that also does the whole like, you know exactly what's going to happen on your way through the story because you're always going to hit these same couple of beats. Yeah. It's just a question of the journey. And that's why, obviously, Grant Howitt totally stole that game from Bullwinkle and Rocky, the party RPG game. That is correct. Grant Howitt, j'accuse. System Mastery accuses you. We will see you in court, mm-hmm. sir. Uh, we, are, we represent TSR now because uh, those assholes that recently tried to represent TSR have given up on it and filed for bankruptcy, which means it's free. It's ours now. It's ours now. We're going to squat that name. Try and stop us. <laughs> First thing we're going to do is get real, real racist about it. Uh, wait, hold on. I think that's why the last guys failed. Ah. Yeah, and in fact, TSR will now stand for Try and Stop Us Roleplaying. Yes, it'll be <laughs> stand for Try and Stop Russ. <laughs> try and Stop Russ. Mm-hmm, because... Russ, our lawyer, who is coming after you, Grant Howitt. <laughs> that's correct. For, I don't know, that's a free micro game on the internet, so I think we probably just want an apology and a slice of cake. <laughs> I would love a slice of cake from Grant Howitt. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh but so, that is that is the base level game yeah uh now it also again this box set comes with a ton of shit there are some diplomas that come in the box yes this was this is effectively the game's xp slash sort of cookie system uh there are two diplomas they they have the exact same effect they're just good guy one and bad guy one uh, the good guy one is a diploma for excellence from the Wasamata U University of Frostbite Falls. And the bad guy diploma is the whew, uh, Ukrainian Safe Cracking Academy of Potsylvania yep. uh, graduate certificate. Um, because, you know, I don't know if you remember this about Rocky and Bullwinkle. I don't know if you remember this. The Cold War happened. Did you remember the Cold War? <laughs> you know, it's funny, I, probably because I'm on the other end of the Cold War from this, but... I, I remember the Cold War largely as an 80s thing, but this ga- this this show is from the 60s. Yeah, well. I mean, it was a long Cold War. It's a long-ass Cold War. Yeah, so, so yeah, uh, this is back when Ukraine was still part of the USSR, uh, and in this case, it's not, Pennsylvania is not Ukraine. No. It's its own country. That's one of the whole jokes of Rocky and Bullwinkle is that Boris and Natasha are from Pennsylvania, which is basically Latveria, except instead of being ruled by doom, it's ruled by fearless leader. And its population is a secret, and its national export is a secret, and everything about it is a secret. Yeah. And, you know, run a, one of the running gags with it is anytime they would show it on a map, it would be in a different place. So sometimes it would be coastal, sometimes it's landlocked, sometimes it's peninsula, sometimes yeah. it's an island. So Pennsylvania is just constantly hidden and on the move. It is not supposed to represent any given country yeah. because... That was a very specific choice on their part to be like, yeah, we don't want to just go, hey, uh, the bad guys come from Russia. Yeah. They're like, nah, we'll make up a country and do that. So there are two things in the box, if you count the diplomas as a single thing, that you're supposed to photocopy and use. The other one is the blank character creation sheet for the third option. We'll get into that later. But uh, there, the two diplomas you're supposed to you're supposed to photocopy and hand them out at the conclusion of every one of the stories you run people through in the game and also you can hand them out mid-game as kind of like hey you did an amazingly funny thing have a diploma yeah and so in the base version of the game the very first one that's mostly just like because you're doing this as a party game it's basically like a party favor of oh thanks for coming over and playing fucking rocky bullwinkle with me here's a little souvenir you can keep and isn't that fun yeah uh, when you get into the second version of this, which is the everybody can do something version, yeah. then the diplomas become XP and it gets a little weirder. Yeah, I'm still wondering what's up with the names of these three modes being the narration game, the everybody can do something game, and the graduate game. They're, they're weird. It feels like... I mean, the graduate one makes sense because you're like, oh, we're handing diplomas out. Yeah. And so this is the graduate game because now you're, you get your diploma. You have graduated, but you hand out diplomas in all three of them. So 
I mean, the narration games make sense because it's there's nothing to this game but narration. It's 100% narration. Everybody yeah. can do something. Found, sounds like it maybe is an old title of one of the episodes or something. I, I don't think so, but then, you know, it's not like I have obsessively watched every episode of Rocky and Yeah, no, before we did the episode, uh, the, the live episode in Gen Con, we did watch several episodes, like enough to do one of the arcs, just so we could kind of get the voices, because we were all in costume. Yeah. And I still can't do the voice, because it's a very hard voice to do. Effectively, he's doing gravelly Jewish voice for Boris Badenov. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not my best. Not not the best voice. Yeah, I mean they're all pretty hard once you get down to it. Bullwinkle's fairly easy. Yeah, Bullwinkle's pretty easy. Yeah. All you need to do is talk like this. He's a Stan Freeberg voice. I'm pretty sure you can kind of tell from the sound. He sounds like a Petey Puma. I mean, Petey Puma is definitely Bullwinkle, but then goofier, which is yeah. interesting that they were like, "Oh, you can't make Bullwinkle goofier." And I'm like, "Oh no, you can. You can." He turns into Petey Puma. You gotta go from the back of the throat. You get a whole lot of lumps. Well, it's like if if uh, Bullwinkle was a Pokemon, then he would evolve into Petey Puma, who would evolve into Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> yeah, that's that evolution. Yeah. So uh, uh, and of course, you know, Rocky is just June foray. Just June foray. Just a. a a very angry Minnie Mouse uh, who is just on the verge of losing it because you take Minnie Mouse and slow it down and get exasperated. Yeah, to me it sounds like Mickey Mouse like trying Quaaludes for the first time. Because, you know, you do... Slow Mickey. You do Mickey and you're just like, huh, oh boy, yeah. we're up here! And then you go down to Rocky and you're like, okay, well, Bullwinkle, you fuck! <laughs> Hokey smoke again! Jesus Christ, Bullwinkle! I'll be in my fucking room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just—it sounds like unbridled, like bridled rage is what yeah. I get from from Rocky, which is weird because Rocky's a heroic and nice character. Yeah, but it makes sense that the character is constantly exasperated because they are always dealing with Bullwinkle. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but yes, the everyone can everybody can do something game is where you start to introduce actual, like, kind of RPG-ish mechanics. Normally, uh, you know, you're just doing storytelling, you're just playing cards, it doesn't really matter, nobody is a specific character, nobody has to worry about powers, you're just telling a story. Yes. Once you hit everybody can do something game... All the parts come out. Yeah, you all get out big, all the shit. parts. Everyone gets their parts out. In the Waffle House. Uh-huh. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I should change my tone. Everybody getting their parts out in the Waffle House. Time to throw some bones, but the sex way. <laughs> throw some sex bones. That <laughs> really touches my excitement bone. <laughs> that's really getting me in the sex bone. <laughs> so, um, anyway, that's when you pull out the character cards that sit in front of you that effectively act as your character sheet, as well as the spinners, because this game uses spinners instead of dice. Yeah, because... They have a bunch of spinners. There are six different little square spinners. Uh-huh. And within each of those six, each has three characters mm -hmm. that are represented on those spinners because every character has a different chance of being able to do something or not do something. Yeah. So if you're like... uh. Natasha and Horse, any of the fairly competent ones, sure. you've got about a 50-50 shot. When you spin it, you'll either land on yes or no. They're about a 50-50 split of you can do something or you don't. Yeah, I think the most competent character in the game is Sherman. Uh, or, or Sorry, Mr. Peabody. Mr. Yes. Peabody, well, the thing is, they're one character, which drives me insane because there are no other characters in the Peabody and Sherman universe represented in this game, why wouldn't you just make them two so you could at least do a two-player game? But no, they're one character with, like, a nearly 80% competency rate. Well, yeah, well, that's because Sherman is not intelligent, but Mr. Peabody keeps that shit on a tight leash. Well, yeah, because every episode of Peabody and Sherman is just uh, Peabody being like, all right, well, Sherman, as you can see, I'm going to do this dumb thing. What do you yeah. know? It was a perfect thing because I calculated it. It worked again. Well, gee, why don't we try and do this? Because no. you're a dumb fucking idiot, Sherman. Fuck you. Sherman. Shut your goddamn mouth. You're not here to talk. You're here to look good. <laughs> why don't I keep that mouth busy at the Waffle House? <laughs> Gross. Ew. Ah, you took it too far. This I was is happy. bad. You're not going to get elected mayor on a campaign like that. 
Oh, I'll never be mayor. I mean, let's let's to be fair to John, uh, noted pervert in general. Yeah, uh, Sherman is probably in his fucking seventies now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the thing is, they are hyper competent, mostly because Mister Peabody's like, I will do everything it takes, and all of my stories are about how. I come out on top because I know exactly what to do and plan yeah. for it. Uh, sure, Mr. Peabody is never, in any of the stories he's ever in, wrong or in danger. No, the only time things go bad in the Peabody and Sherman stories is someone else attempts to do something and it fucks up and he has to correct history to go down the right course because everyone else is a buffoon. The only thing that kills me about the spinners, um, and you, like John, we already went through the, the basics about them. All they have is a section on them that says no and a section on them that says yes. Yeah. So when you spin, you just see if it points at no or yes, and that's it. And there are also rules for if it points on the exact little tiny black lines between them, but that rule is just the the uh, GM now decides. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just sort of cute. Um, the thing that kills me is that in a lot of cases, they're color-coded for the story modes. So you've got like, Boris and Captain Peach, Peach Fuzz and Natasha and Rocky are all yellow. Yep. And that makes perfect sense. You're like, those are all characters from a single universe. But uh, but Fearless Leader and Bullwinkle are some weird bullshit shade of pink because two of the spinners are a different color. Yeah. Or a different four-color block. I don't know why they did that or why Peabody and Sherman are green, which is the exact color they use on all the other spinners for the Fractured Fairy Tale characters, except for Nell Fenwick from Dudley Do-Right. It looks like they tried and then just got fucked over by a printer. I'm guessing, once again, a friendly editor. Probably. Someone mm. was like, oh, well, we, we need to differentiate the colors on this. I'll decide colors. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so yeah. Yeah. So, you know, something like Peach Fuzz, who is a on, character no who, who is, that is... That's why I was explaining. He is a character... Faster. ...who is in the show basically only wrong about things. His whole character trait is that he is... Never correct and always does the wrong thing. Yes, and he so represents the government. Yeah, he has a one in ten, I think, chance of getting a yes, and the rest of it is no's because he's usually just bad at doing stuff. Yes. Uh but yeah. Everyone has spinners to correspond to whatever their character is. You have standees to tell you powers, and now instead of it just being like a oh, it's a fun storytelling thing where we're gonna pop back and forth. You still do hand the narration between characters because you play cards. Uh-huh. But now you actually have individual goals. Instead of just trying to get to the end of the story, which again, does always end the same way. It doesn't matter. You are trying to accomplish whatever your goal is, though. Okay. So if you're like Boris and you're on the bad guy team, you can be like, cool, I'm I'm gonna play a card, I'm the narrator. I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, this happens and shit goes wrong for Moose and Squirrel because fuck those guys. Fuck those guys directly. And if Natasha wants to do something. <laughs> well, anybody and, can. And you're like, oh, uh, I get to just like it lands on the mid range thing or some or they do something and it's bad. You can go, oh, I'll minimize it. You don't accomplish what you want, but I can make it nicer on you because I'm the narrator and you're on my team. Yeah. And the game specifically is like, yeah, do that. Who cares? They're your friend. Yeah, that's fun. And plus, push and pull is what these, the at least Rocky and Bullwinkle is what all these are about. Yeah, and the fact is, the other team is going to be able to play a card and wrest narrative control from you immediately if they want to. Yeah. So getting that little bit of like, ooh, I can make it so that something good happens for me and minimize the bad stuff while I'm the narrator is just like, yeah, do that because you're not going to be narrator for long. Yeah, yeah. I ran the game at Gen Con. I took a, I, I uh, ended up at like a gathering of of uh, of like queer gamers, and uh, we were sitting at the table looking for something to do. And I threw it down, and I was like, "Let's play this." And everyone was like, "What the fuck is that?" And it was a good time. We had a really good time. But in order to keep things simple and not have everyone have to learn the entirety of the system, I just played permanent narrator. So I can confirm that that mode works as well. Yeah. Uh, normally you don't. Do. Yeah, you're supposed to pass it around. But we had eight people at the table, and there were only seven characters in the adventure, so. It was the easiest way to solve that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you use in this mode, there are a couple of printed adventures in the back. You want to introduce your characters, give them stakes in an adventure, uh, and use the spinners and all the powers on the thing. And the way the game functions is that the last, uh, the player who first manages to spend all four of the cards they draw at the start of the game uh, to do anything, you have to introduce all your cards over the, no matter what weird shit is on them, you have to introduce those as crazy elements to the game. 
and then spin at least one yes in service of your goal when you're out of cards. If you can do all that, then the story ends with your happy ending for you. Yeah, so, you know, if you're on a good guy team and you're like, oh, sweet, I'm just going to play all these cards and I'm going to get down to my last one and then, fuck it, I'm going to go out. If you're playing fucking Captain Peach Fuzz or Bullwinkle or Dudley Do-Right, one of the people who was like, I suck. I don't do stuff correctly a lot of the time. You're probably not going to get the ending you want immediately, which is both, you know, sort of annoying if you're playing one of those characters, but also good because it just means you can't go like, anyway, so these four card things happen immediately and I win. Yeah, yeah. And that didn't happen in the one game I played and I was worried it would because it seems like the obvious thing to do, right? To be like, uh, I will play, I'd like to play a card, I'm going to play... Oh no, there's a fire. I play fire or hokey smokescreen, but I put it out with this fishbowl I have. And then Sir Newton Fug, chairman of the Society of Egghoods and Double Dome, shows up to yell at me about how I cards to fire. But it's fine because he ends up getting in a fight with Sheriff Wright of Frostbite Falls, and uh, it's fine. I've played all my cards and I'll roll my die. Or spin my spinner. Yeah. It's, it's like, it is definitely the same thing in Once Upon a Time, where you're like, when you have a handful of cards, there is this sort of gentleman's agreement when you sit down to play the game to not just go like oh what do i have uh i have princess forest dragon and curse all right there was a princess who was cursed in a forest by a dragon and then i win okay so this dragon was the princess of all the dragons of the forest and be and underwent a terrible curse <laughs> what a terrible night for a curse <laughs> dun, 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 dun. sorry he's like that song yeah um anyway okay um but it, it flows very nicely. Now, the cards do some things in the anyone-can-do-something game beyond just uh, allowing you to narrate those events or being required props you have to introduce. Their big mechanic is, uh, normally, to accomplish anything in this game, you have to spin your spinner, which, if your horse, is great, because you've got above a 50% chance to do something. If you're anyone else, horse is the name of Dudley Do-Right's horse. You may not remember that. Yeah. Um, if you're any other character, it means you're, you're more than likely going to fail. Yeah. And we'll get into why that's not that bad, even though we constantly harp on that in other games, because they did a great job writing the, the instructions here. Um, if you throw a card down as part of your story structure, though, you don't have to spin, with two exceptions. One of them is that if your card is the, ass the last thing you're doing when you're about to win, if you're like, also, I'll play this card, and then you still have to spin because you have to spin to win at the end of the game. The other is if you throw down a card to accomplish something, and someone else doesn't want you to accomplish that thing, so they throw down a card to stop you. If that happens, it goes back to flat, and you have to spin out against each other. Yeah. That's right. This game has PvP spins. PvP spins. Like a Beyblade possessed. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the interesting thing for me is, like you were saying, a lot of games, we will harp on that whole, like, Oh, you've got skills of like 10% or 20%, like that fucking Valley of Pharaohs game where you're like, ah, I'm a royal scribe. I have a 15% chance of being able to read, which is fucking wild. It's, yeah, it's a crazy idea. Maybe you're beginning, I don't know, but you'll never get better, so who knows what the fuck they did that for. Yeah, but in this, they're like, no, if you've ever seen Rocky and Bullwinkle, you know the whole fucking point of this cartoon is nothing goes right for anyone. Good guys, bad guys... Everything blows up in everyone's face constantly because that's what the humor is. Yeah, plus a bunch of subversive gags that they slipped under the radar in the late 60s or whatever. It was pretty impressive how much they managed to sneak in. It's it's one of those things where I enjoy not only the fact that this game, where I would normally be angry at like, oh, you can't accomplish things except for 10% of the time. I'm like, no, that's fine because all you're doing is narrating the story and having a thing where you're like, I'm going to try and shoot a cannon at the bad guys. And you're like, okay, do I spin? No. All right, well, my cannon blows up and the cannonball stays in place and the cannon itself fires backwards and shoots me into another city. And you're like, yeah, what it does is creates interesting things. It makes the cartoon happen. Oh, it turns out that Bill Scott was Bullwinkle, not not Stan Freeberg, as I thought earlier. Well, he sounds like a Stan Freeberg character. I, I, what, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, um, I was just looking it up so I could see who did all the voices, because they're great. Like like I was saying earlier, we watched some of this just to kind of get into character before we did the live show, and it holds up. 
This is this this is the cheapest looking show you are ever going to see. Oh, I mean, there was the Rocky or Bullwinkles, a Rocky and Bullwinkle themed arcade and restaurant that existed for a while. Mm-hmm. And even as a kid, I would go in there and be like, "Yeah, this show rules." Yeah, I'm I'm totally down for Upsidasium, the weird super rock that floats. Yeah. Hell, the uh, the opening episode of this this uh, or the opening script to this episode is pulled from the narrate the opening episode of Upsidasium uh, the episode. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, it's just it's a good episode. It's good stuff. Yeah, I modified it, of course, to be about us instead. But yeah, so uh, so yeah, it, it's just it was a really good classic show, and they knew it, and they had this great set of advice that they gave you for how to run that, how to be like, look, Bullwinkle doesn't usually succeed at the things he's trying to do. He just makes things worse for people who are trying to get one over on him. Yeah, and the thing is, it's also like, it's not just, oh, this means I have a bad time. You're like, no, man, when you fail, you fail for everyone. Yeah. You know, if you're like, oh, I want to, you know, again, shoot a cannon at someone and you shoot yourself into another city, you'd be like, great, so I shot myself into another city. The thing is, the bad guys wanted a thing I have and now I'm somewhere else. They've got to find some way to get to me or I've got to find some way to get back. This just creates more hooks, more nonsense, because there isn't a combat system. There's uh-huh. no, like, oh, you can't kill anyone. There's no hit points or anything like that. You don't ever feel like, oh, if I fail, I'm closer to the verge of, like, losing. Because, again, you're like, oh, I just play cards. Winning is just playing all my cards. Yeah. And if you're on the good guy team and you're fucking Rocky and Bullwinkle... Hey man, quit fucking Rocky and Bullwinkle. Get take that to the Waffle House. Yeah, I mean those guys are in their eighties now. Be gentle, and they should be at the Waffle House anyway. That's where old people should be. But if you're you know playing as Rocky and Bullwinkle, and you're looking around the table, you're like, oh, I gotta try and set up so that Rocky can play his last card, so that we can win because Rocky has a way better chance of getting a yes than I do. Yeah, and you can kind of, I mean, it doesn't say that, that you can count a win if your Bullwinkle and Rocky gets a successful spin, but come on, it's obvious. Yeah, because you're going to get Rocky's good ending, which is fucking Bullwinkle's good ending, because yeah. obviously it is, you're on the same team. Yeah, exactly. And they want each other to get good endings. Yeah, you want to get that happy ending at the Waffle House. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, you know, that was subversive for the 60s, but we're taking it to what's subversive for the 2020s. <laughs> Which is, of course, suggesting that Bullwinkle and Rocky fucked. <laughs> We're making it subversive for the 2020s, which is suggesting Waffle House is good. <laughs> I've never been to one. I actually don't know. <laughs> eh, it's uh, it's like a... Like a shitty I, Denny's? I was going to say a shitty Denny's. But it's but better than Denny's? It's like, basically food-wise on par with Denny's, but just depending on where you are, maybe a bit sketchier. Okay, a sketchy Denny's. Okay, that's fair to know. So, in this game, each one of your cards will have two to four abilities on the back of it that will tell you things that's special that your character can or has to do. So, for example, I've got Bullwinkle here. Bullwinkle's spinner is remarkably bad, and therefore, a lot of his powers do not involve the spinner. Uh, he is incredibly strong, so anytime he wants to lift a heavy thing, he doesn't have to spin to accomplish that. Uh, he's a, uh, a bunion on one of his toes that lets him predict the weather. He doesn't have to spin for that. Yep. Uh, he forgets or he remembers every meal he's ever eaten. Uh-huh. Uh, which doesn't require a spinner. And then he does have a spinner move, which is a bad thing. Because his only spinner thing is that he's the dumbest guy in the world. And so if he wants to do anything that would involve deliberate thought in any way, even if it's like, oh, I think I'll uh, spend my day at home reading a book. Like, you got to spin to see if you do that or if you get bored and do something else. Yeah. If you make a plan or try to do something with any sort of deliberate thought you have to spin that spinner because that is not what bullwinkle does yes exactly um so every character works kind of like that bullwinkle is a a a good example of an extreme but if you look at some of the more regular characters rocky is a good choice here rocky does not need to spin to fly yep is flying squirrel he can just fly uh can spin to do things with lightning reflexes do all kinds of nick of time stuff even if he's not around like, far away in another scene entirely, and they're like, oh my gosh, Bullwinkle fell off a building. Rocky can get there with a spin. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Uh, and then amazing trust, which is that uh, Rocky will trust anybody. He, uh, Rocky, despite being super intelligent, is incredibly gullible, 
and always buys yeah. all those Boris disguises. He's super nice and naive, and is just like, well, I guess that's true then. Mm-hmm. He's just really mean about it. Just really, just obviously mad. Well, I guess that's whatever that is for you, you big dumb piece of shit. Yeah, the script says I believe you. I guess. At least I'm getting paid for this. Uh, so that's the one thing that they, that Rocky has to spin for. And every character kind of works like that. Uh, if, also, if it's not on the back of your card, you want to accomplish something like, oh, I'd like to put out the wick on that bomb before it explodes. Spin for that kind of thing. Yeah. Because that's what's funny, right? Um, so here's one, perhaps the one thing about this game that's not so hot, which is the functionality in the anybody can do something version of the game of all those diplomas you've been earning for being a good role player or playing lots of the stories. Yep. At any time, you can turn in fucking five of them to not have to spin the spinner in a situation would you, when you otherwise would. Which is wild, because you basically only get them at the end of a session. If you're like, hey, good job, everybody. We played a fun game. Here's a diploma. Which means you can, once every six sessions, go, I will trade in my five cool souvenirs that I have, now have none, and I get to bypass a spin once, and you cannot bypass the final to win spin. Mm -hmm. So it's not even a like, oh, I'm getting rid of all of these and I'm just going to win this session. Like, no, you still have to spin for that. It's just randomly, if you want to be like, I think this should happen. And I plan on turning in five diplomas because this is the sixth game we've played. Right. Great. And I'm, I just, I don't see the point of this. I feel like I would have been much happier if the diplomas literally didn't do anything. I mean, that's the thing I look at is either the diplomas should be hey, this game is essentially a kid's birthday party in a box. Yeah. This should just be a fun thing that you hand out to kids. Yeah. Or if you're going to have it that way, be like, yeah, you can use a one-to-one. You trade one in, you get one spin for free. But the spinning is like the funnest thing about this game. I can't imagine not wanting to do it. And that's why I'm like, it should be a one-to-one. Because if there is one point in the game where you're like, no, I really think it would be funny or interesting if this specific thing happened. I guess that's fair. You can push that through, and while I do agree that the whole, like, comedy of errors that Rocky and Bullwinkle is, is good, occasionally, you know, when you are telling a story, you're like, but I really want something to happen because I think it would be good. Yeah. Pushing that through and being able to do it, say, every other game, or even every game after you've done one, because you'll get one at the end of that game, Yeah, means... You can always have a chance to do that, yeah, and that's that fair. would be better. That would be. I also, I, like I said, I like the spinners and the constant failure in this game, so I wouldn't want that. But if I had to have the diplomas doing something, I would say I would allow them to be traded in one for one to let you discard a card you don't think is funny and draw another card. Yeah, sure. That's probably what I would have done with them instead, because you know some of the cards are a little 1960s inscrutable. So I, maybe I would I would pass on just a few of them. I don't really have a good example for that off the top of my head, but. But, uh, but yeah, when I was playing the game, some of them were like, I don't know what to do with this card. Can I just not... I don't know what this means. Yeah. That was happening occasionally. A little culture shock there. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's... It is definitely good. I like the evolution of the base narration game into this. Mm-hmm. Like, it does make it so that you go, oh, I had a bunch of kids and did the narration game for a kid party. Yeah. If they wanted to keep going and play something more interesting or I wanted to play it with, you know, adults or something and have them try it out. Having powers and spinners and things like that does get to the point where like, oh, that feels like I can get in to the game a little bit easier. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I think we can talk about the the third one now. Sure, it's a good enough time. The uh, the third game is called The Graduate Game, mm-hmm. and it's not even really a game so much as it is just character creation rules to run through the uh, anyone can do something game with brand new characters. Yes. Um, and to make characters, uh, it's interesting because they they assumed you'd want to, uh, that but they thought you'd pretty much just want to make characters that are random mixes of character powers that are already in the game and that you would like an extremely low chance of your character being able to really do much. Yeah. So in the graduate game, when you make a character, first you pick if you want to be a human or an animal, Mm -hmm. because obviously this is a game that has, you know, walking around, talking moose, but also just, you know, 
a regular Russian spy. Yeah, and what I find amusing about that is that the only difference between picking human or animal is that if you pick human, you also have to pick a, a profession or occupation. Animals don't have those. Yeah, because Bullwinkle is just a moose, mm-hmm. but every human on there is like, oh, I'm a captain. I am the leader of Potsylvania. I'm a spy. Yeah. I'm whatever. If you're a human on the show, you're some sort of position, and that's what we're going to play off of. Whereas if you're an animal, it's just like, whatever, man, I'm fucking Rocky the Squirrel. Who gives a shit? I don't need a job. Yeah, I'm a fucking woodpecker. I, I don't. I, I live in the woods. I mean, granted, these two live in a ramshackle little squat house with no stove or, or anything in it. Um, but It's just unfortunate when you're li- living in a place called Frostbite Falls. Oh, well, I mean, they are a moose and squirrel, though. They, they are insulated with thick coats of fur. Oh, they're thick. Uh-huh. And coats. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... So the way this works is there are, I think, five categories of, of, of powers that the game, the other characters from the game's powers are divided up into. And as you go down the line, after you write down whether you're a human or an animal, you take spinners as you are assigned to do so, and you spin them to see if you get a power from each of those categories. And you use the same spinners for each thing, but it's a, it's a different spinner per category. Yeah. So when it starts off, you have... The good stuff table. And uh-huh. the good stuff is all powerful ability. So, like, being able to turn invisible or, you know, teleport or having... Uh, is the Scrooge gun Scrooge in the, gun good is stuff the good stuff? Or is yes. the pretty good? Scrooge gun is the, uh, the the freeze beam that's held by the aliens, get the moon man, Gidney, and Cloyd. It is in good stuff. Yeah. So, a bunch of stuff that's very good, very powerful abilities. Yeah. But flying saucers, brains, magic, uh, muscles, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So all of that is on that list. But when you go to see if you get something from it, you take the Bullwinkle spinner, spin it. And if you get a yes, you can pick one thing from the good stuff list. Yeah. If you get a no, you get nothing from that list. Yeah. The only character with a lower chance to get stuff than Bullwinkle is uh, Captain Peach Fuzz. Yeah. They basically boil down to a 20% success chance and a 10% success chance, according to the spinner. Uh, so you check to see if you get a good stuff, and you are very unlikely to do so. Then you go down to the pretty good stuff list. Yeah. Uh, and that one, I think. Uh, is the uh, Rocky Spinner. He's the Rocky Spinner, and that one's stuff like being rich or being uh, being able to drive or flying or having a government post. And you use the Rocky Spinner to see if you get one of those. And it goes on like this through the well-I-guess-it's-okay list, the powers man was never meant to have and would never want list, because it's kind of starting to get into bad stuff. Oh, yeah. And then the oh, no, do I have to take one of those lists? Now, again... For every one of these categories, you will take the spinner they tell you to get. Different spinner each time. Uh, and spin, and if you get a yes, you pick one of them. If you get a no, you don't get anything. Which means it is entirely possible to have a character with no powers at all. Yeah. And because the last one, it gets more likely you will get a yes as you go on. So you're much more likely to have a character that has no good powers and just maybe two bad things. Yeah. Because the last one, the oh no, do I have to take one of these, is on the Mr. Peabody one. Which is like an 80% chance. Which is weird, because there's not that many characters that have them. Out of 18 characters in the game, only five characters have any of those power, th- those super bad things. And even then, you're like, okay, but also every one of those characters that has one of those has other stuff they can do. Yeah. Like, one of the oh no powers is, uh, like, Bullwinkle's being... Very stupid and not being able to think at all. Yeah, his dumb beyond belief. Uh, Dudley Do-Right's constant incorrectness. But they also have, I mean, Bullwinkle has the super muscles one from good stuff. Yeah. So you have this balanced, or in most cases, a few more good than you have bad powers for most people. But the way character creation works, it's basically like, oh, you're almost certainly not going to have anything good and just have detriments to your character. Yeah. And while that's not the worst, because as we said, this is a comedy of errors, failing isn't bad. But it's not fun either. And the other characters have cool powers that are fun. Yeah, because all all that means is you're like, oh, it's not like being able to fly from the good power list suddenly makes me an unbalanced character. It's not like, oh, I broke the action economy in fucking D&D or something. Yeah. But all it does is let you have more things to do. If you're like, I have a fucking UFO 
that's a cool thing. It doesn't make my spinner any better. It doesn't make my story easier to tell. Yeah, your it's char- just flavor. Your character ends up kind of bland, which is weird. And it's kind of disappointing. Like, what you're seeing here is this little bit of 80s TSR creeping into what is otherwise a stellar, freeform party game. It's it's disappointing. And what's, what's especially disappointing is you can see right there what this should have been instead. And you know what that is, obviously? The Fractured Fairy Tales. Because Fractured Fairy Tales is unique among the various... Uh, well, I guess Aesop and Son does it too, but I, I, yeah. haven't, I haven't seen that in 20 years. Huh. Um, both of those need new characters each time. I mean, there are fractured fairy table char- or tale characters mixed in amongst the uh, the spinners. You've got like king and peasant, queen and witch, uh, knight and guy, or something like that. <laughs> knight and other guy. But they're 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 weird and boring. And the uh, fractured fairy tales usually aren't about those specific characters. Uh-huh. They they have new characters each time, so you need the character creation to be like, I need a Rapunzel equivalent. I need a uh, I need a Cinderella equivalent. Whatever it is, I need that kind of stuff. But there aren't enough spinners for me to get every fairy tale into a subverted, weird version, so there should have been character creation for that, not just for random shit that isn't very interesting. Especially because, I mean, the thing for me is, I feel like if I was doing uh, this game, I wouldn't want to do a Fractured Fairy Tale or an Aesop and Son, because literally the entire point of those bits from the show were, we're going to tell a weird version of a story, and the whole thing is to set up one pun at the end of the story. <laughs> that's the whole... It's just a five-minute cartoon for one joke. Right, let's be fair. That's exactly what Peabody and Sherman is, too. I mean, yes. Like, all of the non-Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons are just, hey, man, here's five minutes of filler for one joke at the end. And that's not good, because even the book's like, hey, and remember, if you're doing one of these side stories, make sure to end on a pun. And I'm like, yeah, but you've given me a bunch of random cards and random spinners and random shit, and the story's going to go in wild-ass ways. It's easy to end on a pun when you are writing a story based on a pun that you can then make the story out of. Yes. But when six people are all throwing a random horseshit into your story, it's hard to get a cohesive end-of-the-story pun out of it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But that's that's just me. Mm-hmm. And the problem with random horseshit is, by the end, your ass will be grass. That was that wasn't even a pun. That was nothing. It was terrible. I'm sorry. I was trying with random shit. I you tried. get out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> Into the ocean with you. All right. At least it's close. You and all the perverts in the Waffle House. Go to the ocean. That sounds fucking great. Let's do this. <laughs> perverts with me. Hell yeah! Fuck beach this. party for the perverts. Fuck this shit. There are. It ain't fair. There ought to be a beach party for perverts. <laughs> or my name ain't Jeff. Well, it I is. To stop there. Yep. <laughs> uh, and it also has. Some rules for uh, making your own powers, which would be good because, again, all of these are just, oh, I'm making a character that is sort of a mishmash of shit that's already in here. Mm -hmm. So being able to make new powers at least lets you have some modicum of making a character that isn't just a patchwork of the other ones. They also have making your own spinner, which even the book is like, Man, maybe don't do that. That sounds like some art project stuff that you don't need. Like, you can kind of look at these and go, okay, the outside ring always has ten yeses and nos on it. The inside ring always has four. And the middle ring, I think, always has uh, seven. So you can kind of get an idea of what your odds are and just go from there. Yeah. Like, you, like you just uh, reassign the character to be like, oh, I want my character to have a 30% chance of success. Great. Then take the spinner that has three yeses and seven noes on the outside ring. I think that's the one with horse and, and the king and peasant and shit. I mean, given that there are six spinners and three circles in each spinner with different percentages, you don't need to make your own. Lots of options, so you'll be just fine there. Uh, just take the one for Homer, the character where I don't even know what the fuck that is. I think he's like the henchman bad guy from Dudley Do-Right. He's the one that I know the least about. He's like also very boring looking. He kind of looks like a potato with a face. Yeah. He's a little potato face man. Yeah. So anyway, don't make your own spinner. But you don't need to. There's plenty of them. This is this is neat. This is a fun thing. Plus, this isn't even the only book in here. There's a whole book that's a guide to everything about Frostbite Falls to help you write your stories and your adventures. Yeah, especially if you're like, oh, I got this and I have no idea what Rocky and Bullwinkle is, which would be wild. It would be weird to do that nowadays. This has been out of print for fucking 35 years. Yeah. Uh, but 
it isn't hard to get though. You can get it on Amazon for like 13 bucks or not uh, eBay for like 13 bucks. So if we're selling you on it, go buy it before the market goes up because we're going to drive the market up. Yeah. Now, I mean, we got a good one because everything is in there. It's pristine. We got a perfect copy. There's even a spare full deck of unopened cards in there. Yeah. We So we got lucky. Same thing with our Dallas copy. We just, we just seem to have gotten, and we got all the fucking puppets, which we haven't talked about yet. This game came with puppets. Yeah. They're not amazing. They're little pieces of white and clear plastic you slide over your hand like like little just gloves. They're not shaped like anything with a drawing of the entire character on them and the name of the character printed underneath that. Yes. And it is very clear that they had a s- selection of four colors they could use and they did not get to pick some of the ones that are, you know, the main colors for certain characters. So Natasha who very famously wears a purple dress, has a red dress on in this because red was one of the four colors they could pick. Yeah, I mean, you'd think they could get it done, but because, uh, like, for example, Bullwinkle and Rocky, I think, are two colors each, not counting white. Because one of them is brown and a different brown, and the other one is just blue and gray. Yeah, whereas they were like, oh, we can't do blue. Rocky has a red hat. Yeah, that's they, right. They did that. Yeah, no, a lot of characters are like, no, you don't get the main color on here. We're getting brown, we're getting green, we're getting red, and I think yellow, maybe? Might be. I don't know. I think there's a gray is the other one, because there's a lot of characters holding, like, various guns or equipment. Well, I mean, black and gray. I think gray scale oh, was fine. that's fair, yeah. Uh, but the puppets are adorable. Here's a fun fact, though. They don't do anything. They're just in there, literally, as stated in the book, because it was the weirdest thing they could get. They, they, they thought they could get away with including. Yeah. They're like, oh, this is silly. And it's a silly game. You're silly for playing this. Have a hand puppet. So that's great. They don't fit on my hand, which is a shame. Oh, no. I tried to put one on and I'm like, oh, this is this is meant for we folk. It's a game not, for children. Not a man of giant handedness. Not for us and our ridiculous piano spans and shit, <laughs> because we're just we're just large men. Oh. <laughs> uh. uh. As anyone who has met us can attest, we are we are of of a certain vastness. There there is a certain zip coatiness to us. Yeah, I even now when I've gotten a lot skinnier, I am still of a of a certain like, like dimension. Yeah, so to speak. I mean, here's the thing: it basically doesn't matter how much weight I would lose. I am a wide fellow and shall be. You're a big dude, and you're also six three. Like, yeah, it's just there's it, it, we're we're just large, so it wasn't meant for us. That doesn't mean we don't think it's great. That said, let's get into it, John. What's your favorite thing about the Bullwinkle and Rocky Party RPG? I love the narration game of this. The very early standard one, I think, does exactly what I want out of a comedy game like this. And so much of comedy games that we have reviewed, we harp on the tone of it because it's like, oh, you're getting real jokey, but you're trying to tell the jokes for me. Uh Uh-huh. Or, like, the tone of the book gets in the way of getting ideas across and the actual game mechanics. Because the mechanics are three sentences worth of mechanics, they're like, yeah, there's a ton of stuff that's in character voice and it's fun and jovial and jokey but it can do that because it doesn't have a complicated system it needs to get across and while some of the cards are like oh this is a weird goofy thing it's still up to you to describe how it happens in game and the narration going back and forth the base version of this the narration game is brilliant and that's why it became basically the basis for a best-selling card game and Grant Howitt's stolen idea for Dr. Magden Hands. Mm-hmm. You'll be hearing from us shortly. <laughs> and by us, I mean our legal team, which Russ. is us. Oh, I'm sorry, Russ, our legal team. <laughs> try, try and stop Russ. <laughs> so uh, so that's my favorite thing. What is your favorite thing? Uh, I'm going to say my favorite thing here is the DM advice about failure. Oh, yeah. It's very well written. I... Again, like we were talking, John was just mentioning, I think it's really worth noting that this is how you do a comedy game correctly. This is full of in-character voice stuff. Anytime it's bold text in this book, it's because a character is talking. But do they say things in character that are rules for the game? Do they rename the rules of the game to be stupid bullshit in their voices? They do not. Most of the time, they don't understand what's going on. Yeah. If it's bold, it's just so Fearless Leader can say things like, as fringe benefit, I don't shoot him. And then they just move on. Yeah, it would be... 
Like, if this game had the problems that a lot of other comedy games that we had reviewed had, it would be like, oh, when you play a card, that's called slapping down a hot one, and you gotta say that. You're like, all right, I'll slap down a hot one, and... I'll swing nasty pointy thing. Yeah, this doesn't do that. This uses standard rules of spinning and... play a card. Yeah. Spin a spinner. That's not the fucking comedy bit. You are the comedy bit. Yeah, and then everything else, everything that's in character voice is just jokes from the show that are good and fun, and it's fine. So, but the advice for failure is really well written to help you get past the the uh, notion that this is a thing you need to win, and that instead it's just going to be way funnier if everyone's constantly getting blown up and thrown around because that is what happens in those shows. Yeah, you need to constantly be like, oh, I had a plan and I was going to go steal this, but oh no, the thing I stole got put onto a moving truck and now it's somewhere else. Oh, well, I'll go try and get that moving truck. You stole a different truck, and that truck has a live piranha! Yeah, that's what the fucking cartoon is, and constantly failing is what's going to make that happen. Yeah. Now, um, what's your least favorite thing? I feel like we already talked about the two bad things, and we're just going to say them again now. Yeah. So. I mean, character creation in this is a bad idea, and I'll say specifically the bad thing is the increasing chance of getting a thing for the worst powers because it's just instead of it being like the whole oh this is fun because when you fail you get to do stuff instead it's just oh this limits the way you can interact in the world we're gonna make it less likely that you have ways to interact in the game and that's bad yeah so uh, I agree with you there. I think the character creation could have been either been more th- uh, fleshed out and thought out and and useful, or just removed. Either one of one, either one would have been fine. Yeah. And is that going to be your? No, I said there was one other bad thing in this game, there uh, you go. and it's a very minor one, which is that I don't think the diplomas needed to do anything. And if they did, I think they should have done something different. This game has one mechanic. Having a tool that lets you elide that one mechanic seems silly to me. Ah. Be like, that's the one thing you're here to do. Do it. So that's, it's minor. It's a small pet peeve. I love the diplomas. I printed out a bunch of them to hand out at the show because they're fucking great. They're a good keepsake. Uh, but, but I, I think they're, they would have been better as just yet more weird random shit we put in this box because it's funny. Yeah. So that's me. Would you play this? Oh, of course. Of course I'd play this. It is just a fun party game. And because it's a game that you're like, oh, this is literally only capable of doing one shots because it has a very clear and definite beginning and end point, I'm like, that's great. You don't have to worry about, you know, is this going to go on for whatever? You just be like, great, I know what I'm in for, I know the ins and outs, and I can do this easily, and you can sell it to people easily. It's great. Yeah. And I, you have played this already, I've already run the game, and it's fucking great. I'd run it again in a heartbeat. I ran it with a bunch of strangers, and by the end, everyone was standing up and applauding because it was fun. Yeah, and that stranger's name, Albert Einstein. (laughs) (laughs) And then the president called. <laughs> Ooh, Jeff, you're so muscly. Uh, I have been working out. Well, Thanks, president. Thank, thank you, president. Mm-hmm. Thank you, current president. I'm glad you're the one that called. <laughs> thank you. In whatever year you're listening to this, is current president. Uh, I, thought, I don't know if I've told the story in the air before, but because I because of the weird schedule of me taking French and water polo in high school, I was not able to skip PE, so I had to take PE and a sport. And that meant that I was usually the fit kid in PE because everyone else was just there to sit there for the Yeah, because if you weren't doing a sport, you're like, ah, crap, I need my PE credits. Yeah. Whereas if you were smart like me, you did intramural bowling. I was, I I did water polo in French, which was a stupid decision. If I had done Spanish, I would have been on easy street and leaving an hour early every day. Mm. Uh, But because I didn't, I had to do, I had to do PE. And that meant that I had, having nothing better to do and being in good shape from water polo, I entered and won the Presidential Physical Fitness Challenge in 1997. And uh, when I did so, it turned out that no one had bothered winning or changing anything about it for so long that my Presidential Physical Fitness Challenge is signed with a real pen by Ronald Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) Wowzers. (laughs) So... Just a just a weird story of of a thing I have a Ronald Reagan signature on on my stupid award for doing a lot of sit ups. Wow. Yeah. So uh, anyway, just thought you'd like to know as a silly joke about old diplomas or, or presidents who sign things. Otherwise, thank you so much. We're gonna go make. I guess are we gonna do this? Are we gonna make? Hey, character- this has character creation in it. Yeah, it's just really fast, so it might be a really short episode, but that's fine because we got back from Gen Con yesterday and I'm not done sleeping yet. Ah. Uh, and I'll throw this out, 
when this comes out, it'll probably be the day before, or depending on if Jeff sleeps all day, the day of our 10-year anniversary. You may be thinking to yourself, well, golly, didn't you have a 10-year anniversary last year? And yes, we did, because I'm a moron and I can't do math. I'm not going to jump on John for this because, uh, number one, I'm a moron all the time. This is a rare situation of me not being one, but I did just kind of accept him at face value. Oh, yeah. I was like, hey, I think it's our 10-year anniversary. And you're like, yeah, that sounds right. Sure. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care about anniversaries in general or birthdays on the balance. Who gives a shit? Fine. 10-year anniversary. But it is the actual 10-year anniversary. August 9th is when the first episode, Heroes Unlimited, came out in 2013, making this the 10-year anniversary. And starting next year, we're going to celebrate it as our 10th anniversary observed going forward every year from now on. Every year is now our 10-year anniversary, mm -hmm. and we are going to wish ourselves a very merry on anniversary. Uh-huh. So, you know, if, you're, uh, if you've are if you been listening that long, pat yourself on the back and realize you'll die soon. <laughs> and, you know, mostly because we're coming to get you. That's right. Us and Russ. <laughs> you better watch out. Just try and stop Russ. <laughs> so, thanks for listening for all these years. We'll see you again real soon with the bonus content and with more System Mastery. Uh, and, oh, as always, that's over, the bonus content is over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash systemmastery, where if you're listening right now and you were a subscribed patron, please check to see if you still are. They fucked their whole database up. Yeah, they, they moved it to Ireland or something. Yeah, Ireland has ridiculously lax tax laws, and so they just get a lot of corporations that are quote-unquote headquartered there, being that they own some, you know, small office building or an office in a building and just go, yeah, that's our headquarters. And Patreon did that and then didn't tell anyone they were going to do that. So all the banks were like, who spent $4 in Ireland? Stolen credit card. Yeah, they're like, oh, none of you live in Ireland. Why is a charge coming down for money from Ireland? Clearly this is fraudulent. And so a ton of people got dropped from their uh, Patreon pledges not just, you know, getting dropped like, oh, the, uh, like, cash didn't go through this month. Like, fully kicked out. Even the people who called the bank and went, no, that's right, that should be there. They went, yeah, we don't believe you, and we've completely cut you off. Yeah, so please, if, uh, we lost a lot of, pe of pledges. It just, it's grim. So, if, if, uh, if they kicked you out, please consider resubscribing. And if you haven't subscribed to us in the past, I am begging you to do it now. Because... <laughs> Because we're with that shit puts a roof over my daughter's head. I know. And it keeps me fat and happy. Yep. Or so. at least fat. <laughs> or or. <laughs> now's a good time to pledge if you've ever been thinking about it, because Jesus Christ, we need to make up for what Patreon did to us. God damn it, Patreon. What is well, it's I know what's wrong with capitalism you. Yes. is what's going on. Capitalism where you need to have exponential growth. Yeah, well, we didn't. We had exponential loss of growth. So come help us out. We'd really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. You all have a very good one.